0: Turn with me to 2 Peter, please, 2 Peter chapter one. This morning, I'd like to go through 2 Peter and I'd like to look primarily, please, at verses, chapter two, verses one through nine. But as we look at this, the context begins all the way back in chapter one. So in order to get the full flavor, the full knowledge of what he's mentioning in verses one through nine, we really have to go back to the beginning. But obviously that's about four Sundays in a row, and since I only have today, I want you to grab on tight to the chair because we're going to be flying along here as we move through. We do not know exactly who Peter is writing to in 2 Peter. 1 Peter, he's writing to Asia, Turkey, modern day Turkey, Galatia, that area where Ephesus and Bithynia, everyone else up there in Turkey. He's writing from, he calls it Babylon. No one's sure really what Peter's talking about there. Is he talking about Rome, uh, referring to the city of Rome as Babylon, its possibility? Was he at the real Babylon? Uh, we do not know that. Was he calling Jerusalem Babylon at the time because of the wickedness that was going on there? We do not know that. But we know Peter is writing to believers in his first epistle and to believers in his second epistle and the second epistle we could title we could title the last days and that's very obvious from the entire epistle i'm sure you've read it through many many times a good friend of mine dr j o percy titled it this way divine provision for a holy life in the days of apostasy so we're talking about the last days the last times peter's writing prophetically to the people that of the first century, but this travels down through the generations to you and I, to these very last days that we live in. Well, Peter's talking, obviously, to believers. The warning that the last days are coming upon you. First century Christians following. And as he's writing that, he not only, he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, well, the last days are there. Good luck, have a good day. No, he gives us the how and why of everything. And he begins, of course, with the source of spiritual strength. And we see that starting right in verse 3. The source of spiritual strength. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his, God's divine power, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called you to glory and virtue. I'm, I'm reading from a King James Bible, verse, f- verse four. By which are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts, and we'll stop right there. So Peter lets us know, lets the, these new uh, first generation Christians know, that they need to recognize that they have to rely upon God's word for God's power and for God's information. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's every part of your life. It's in here. Every decision you make should be based upon and filtered down through the word of God. Here's what God wants you to know. Here's how he wants you to act. Here's what he wants you to do. So it all has to come from him through his word. And we can be partakers of that divine nature. How does that work? Well. I won't have you turn there, but first Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14 tells us, after you believe the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's God himself dwelling in you, teaching you, giving you the information that you need to live in a uh, ungodly world. How to function and honor him. Now. He lets us know that, why? Because when you become born again, you are a baby Christian. You're just a simple child in Christ. And a child needs to learn, do they not? But this isn't just written to younger people who will become older people and know everything. This is written to every age group. All of us are children in Christ. The oldest among us here today cannot claim themselves to know everything and have no need of reading the scriptures. Turn with me, keep your hand here, we're coming right back. First Peter, please, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two. <clears throat> Peter lets his readers know this in first Peter chapter two and verse one. Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and, and envies and all evil speakings. You see that as a Christian? There needs to be a higher step here in your life. And as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word of God, that you may grow by it. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you really experienced the the, the word of God in your life? Has it fulfilled your desires of your heart as far as knowing more about him? But as a newborn babe, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. We need to grow spiritually, particularly in these last days, as we see the days approaching, the scriptures tell us. In a time of great difficulty, not only for the United States of America, but for the entire world, these are difficult days. How am I going to conduct myself? Well, Peter tells us that right here. Turn with me back to 2 Peter, but look over at chapter 3 for a moment, please. Chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> this is not an option, option. This is a commandment. This isn't a suggestion. This is what God wants you to do. He says to us in 2nd Peter chapter 3, look at verse 18. But grow, that's a command. Military command. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we're commanded to grow. Spiritually grow in Christ. Listen, when you have trusted Christ as your savior, you're saved by faith, you're assured of eternal life. Just as sure as you're sitting here today, you're assured of eternal life. You have all the Holy Spirit you'll ever get. You're not gonna get any more of that. But you're still an immature Christian. There's still a need to go forward. Uh, you still need to know more about God's word. You need to listen to spiritual teachers, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. They were given to the church for the edification of the believers till we grow, so we will grow, and not grown, essentially. God wants us to listen to those teachers, to study the scriptures for ourselves, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He wants us to make sure that we're studying Second Peter uh, chapter two and verse 15. What does he want us, why does he want us to do that? Well, we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. So God has a, 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 a desire, a challenge, and a command for us to grow in Christ. Now, why do we need to grow? Well, it's very simple. If you lack spiritual growth, you make yourself susceptible to demonic influence. There's no one in this room that's exempt from that, including yours truly and our pastor. No one is exempt from demonic, uh, uh, from demonic uh, hindrance, if you would, except they grow in Christ. And then that demonic hindrance now is overshadowed by God's word. I sift everything through God's word. Remember Peter, uh, Paul rather said in Ephesians 6 and verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You need that armor. What is the armor of God? It's the word of God. So I can stand in the evil day. Now, I want us to continue down a little bit more. We're in 2 Peter now, chapter 1. How do we do this, Peter? Well, he says it's a building block process. I remember our kids, watching them uh, develop in life. And at first you think, this is a little baby. It's kind of useless. It sits there, and it, I can't communicate with it. Every once in a while it smiles at me. Nancy says it's gas, and it could have been. You know, I don't know. But I think I, I'm getting something. And then they, they begin to mature, and, 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 and they begin to crawl, and flip over, and then uh, crawl around, then walk, and then run, and then destroy the whole house. You know, you know you know, how that goes. But as they mature, as they grow, that's what God's looking for from us. Not to be stagnant, not to say, I'm saved and that's enough. It's not enough. Not for God. He commands that we grow, to move forward, to look at his word. How do I do that, sir? Look please at verse four. Verse five, I'm sorry, and besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. You see, it's a building process, It's, it's, it's a growing process. By studying the word of God, by letting God's word dwell in you richly, the spirit of God using the word of God causes us us to mature in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And why, why? Because we're in, Peter says, the last days. And Peter said, I need to remind you of something here. Remember, please, if you would, picking it up in verse uh, eight. If these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. I studied in school to be a tool and die maker. I went to uh, the Charlestown Navy Yard apprenticeship. I went to apprenticeship in Lowell. I went through several apprenticeships. But when I got out of high school, I thought I knew everything. And then it took me four to five years to learn I didn't know anything. And then I had to grow as a tool and die making, and learn all of it. And how does that happen? It happens being nicked up, saying you don't do that again. You don't do that again. You made a mistake there. You need to grow there. You need to learn more. You need to read more. You need to experience more. That's called growing in this world. But more importantly is growing in Christ. Someday I'm going to leave this tool and die making stuff way behind me. There'd be no tool and die making in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I'm so glad about that. There'll be none of that. Why? Well, because the former things are, are left behind. The more important things are ahead. Now, if I studied that hard for this world, what should I be doing for eternity? Shouldn't I be investing time in that? Shouldn't I be setting my affections on things above, not on things on the earth? Why? Uh, My life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is my life, shall appear, I will appear with him also in glory. That's the most responsible thing. What happens? Verse 9, but he that lacks these things, if you're an immature Christian, not because you just got saved, because that's what you choose. Life is more important than God's word. Other things are more important in God's word. He that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old old sins. See, you you can forget, brother and sister in Christ. You you can forget. You can get behind. Uh, He's reminding of us something we should know. He's reminding us of something that we should observe and recognize. Peter says... In verse 18, there's an end to it, you see. There's an end to this world. There's an end to everything around us. Verse 11, he says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make sure then, verse 10, Wherefore, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never be moved. If you're relying upon the word of God, if you're reading the word of God, if you're letting it dwell in you richly, if you're growing in Christ, you're not gonna be shaken by the circumstances of this life. It's not gonna shake you up to see what's going on round about you. Why? I have a better place than this. I have a city whose builder and maker is God. I have a place to reside. I will be with him forever. The former things will pass away. All this is so unimportant to my God and my glory. Yes, I have to live for him. Yes, I have to work. Yes, I have to uh, be part of society, but that's secondary compared to him. And he lets us know, verse 11, so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter said, "I, I have to remind you of these things. I don't wanna be the crabby one. I I don't wanna be the one that's always negative, Peter says, but I have to remind you of these things. Why? They're necessary that you learn that. I'd love to tell you about other goody two-shoe things, but I can't. You need to recognize we are in a dire strait, a dire position. Notice what he says in verse 11. Wherefore, I will not neglect to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know him and you're established in the present truth. But then Peter says something very interesting. Knowing this, and you can see that in verses 13 and 14, pretty soon I'm leaving the scene. Pretty soon I'm going off the scene. He said, the Lord Jesus told me about that while I was yet with him. And you don't, we won't go there because of time, but remember the Lord Jesus told Peter in John chapter 21, pretty soon someone's gonna lead you where you don't wanna go, pretty soon. And that was talking about a cross. And historically, we read Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I don't want to be crucified the same way my Lord was. Whether that's true or not, I do not know, but I know this. So Peter lets us know, this is how you need to establish yourself. It's the last days, and we know that to be true. John said we're in the last days in the epistles of John. We're not in the last part of the last days of tribulation period, but we can see. Excuse me, things are winding down, winding down. So Peter lets us know get prepared for that, get ready for that. Look at verse 15, please. 15 and following. He says, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease or departure to have these things always in remembrance. Then he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Uh, when we made known unto you the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said, listen, this isn't something I heard. I was there. I was there. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him heal everyone that came into his his sight. I saw him cast out demons. I saw him feed tens of thousands of people. I saw him walk on water. I saw him stop a song. Storm, I saw it, I felt it, I was there, I heard the whole business. No one's gonna tell me this didn't happen, I was there. But, verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a excellent voice of glory, when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter heard the Father, speak about the Son. Not only did he see him, not only was he present with all his glory, not only did he know that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter heard the Father say it. This is my beloved Son. That's, that's it. Good enough. That's all I need. No, no. We have a lot of people waiting to hear a voice from heaven today. It's not coming. The next voice that comes will be the trump of the angel. the scriptures tell us. You're not going to hear a voice from heaven. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Say, well, I heard one. Get off that medication. I heard one. You ate something terrible the night before. You're not going to hear a voice from heaven, folks. Why, how do I know that? Listen to what Peter says. Look at verse 19. For we have a more sure word of prophecy. You know what Peter said? I was there, I saw him, I heard him, I heard the Father speak, but more importantly, he gave us his everlasting word more important than a voice from heaven, is what you have in your hands, the very word of God. That's the most important thing we can have, is the very scriptures themselves. Notice what he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, unto which you do well that you take heed unto the light that shines in dark place until the dawn and the day star arise in your heart. What does Peter mean by that? He just simply means this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God's word is eternal. And Peter's sharing that with us, letting us know that all scripture, the word of God is given by inspiration of God. Profitable doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may become mature. More important than a voice from heaven was the word of God given to us. And Peter shares that with us. What are people looking for? They're looking for a sign today, why? Because they really don't believe this. They really don't believe this and they're looking for something to verify it. But we know it's God's word, we know it's true. We know it's perfect from cover to cover. We know it's all that God wanted us to know. Peter said, now, okay, we, we understand that. How did it happen, Peter? Some apostles thought, I'm gonna write a little bit of the word of God. No, no, that's not how it worked, notice. Knowing this verse, in verse uh, 20, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. The minute someone tells you they know something you don't know, you should know something they don't know. There's something wrong with that fellow. The word of God is not of any private interpretation. You can know everything that he knows about the word of God through the spirit of God. You can read it for yourself. If you buy everything I'm telling you this morning, I'm sorry for you. Why? You're supposed to compare the scriptures with the scriptures. Like the Bereans, you're supposed to receive the word with all readiness and then search the scriptures to see if these things were so. God wants us studying his word individually, collectively. God wants us to focus in on what he has to say It's not of any private interpretation. It's not some monk or or, or, or priest or, or rabbi or anyone else. They don't have the answer. God has the answer. Now they may be given the gift of teaching, that is someone who's truly born again, may have that gift of teaching and be able to illuminate a little better, but that's the spirit of God working through the word of God. It's not necessarily the man. So be careful, be very careful. How did it happen, Peter? For the prophecy, verse 21, came, came not at any time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. When the apostles sat down to, to write a letter to the church at Ephesus, or, or Peter to the churches at Asia, or John writing a letter, when, when, they, when they sat down to write a letter, they were literally writing God's word. Well, how does that work? they were moved, carried by the Holy Spirit. I have an example of this, it's the only example I have, so please listen and bear with me. When my daughter Amy, the beautiful girl, plays the piano for us, among other beautiful girls, by the way, that play the piano for us, um, when, she, when she was a little baby, she asked, Daddy, help me to write my name. Okay, Amy, took the pen, and I put it in her hand, and I held her hand, and we wrote A M. Why? Who wrote her name? Well, you say she did, really. It was guided by who? Me. When John wrote, you say, well, John wrote what he wanted to write. Really, he was guided by God. So that every word of God is exactly what God wants us to write. God used men to write, but they were the penmen. He was his ink. They they wrote on paper, but he was the guide by the Holy Spirit. I have a quick thing, a a definition that I learned many years ago in Bible school. God so supernaturally directed the writers in their recording of Scripture that without, without excluding any human factor, his own complete, coherent message to man was recorded in perfect accuracy, bearing the authority of divine authorship. Holy men of God wrote, as they were moved by the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now knowing that, hopefully knowing that, Peter says, I've got some information for you. And here's what I need to let you know. Chapter 2 and verse 1. There were false prophets also among the people. The people who, Israel. All you need to do is read the Old Testament. You'll see false prophets among them even as there shall be false teachers among you. See? Get ready. Get ready. They're coming. As sure as you're sitting here, they're coming. And what are they going to tell? Well, they're going to bring in destructive heresies, denying the Lord that bought them, and bring, themselves, bring upon themselves swift destruction. There's a warning here. There's false teachers coming. And those false teachers will try to allure you. It's not, it's not people out there. People out there already bought it, people already there all own it. It's you he's writing to the church. And he's letting you know that this is coming. Get ready for it. Prepare yourself. Get your heart ready. Listen, we're not talking about just a simple disagreement here over a Bible passage, perhaps that we're not exactly sure about. We're not talking that type of stuff. What we're talking here is Paul warned Timothy, for example. He said, Paul warned concerning two false teachers, he said, who were, uh, were, their teaching would only lead to more ungodliness. Their words are like a gangrene, a poisonous infection that will destroy the whole body. And they've already overthrown the faith of some. We're not talking about some disagreement on a Bible passage. We're talking about heretical, contrary teaching to the word of God. There are guys on television today who have tens of thousands of people sitting in their audience and they say there's no hell. They say there's no hell, they're liars. That's heresy. That's blasphemy at the highest point. But there's such nice people, to who? Not to the Lord. They're heretical teachers. And what will they do? They'll bring upon themselves swift destruction, but in the process, what do they do? They overthrow the faith of some. That's why Peter tells us, be very, very careful. And God says, listen, I've got some things in mind here about this. First of all, realize that God judged those people. He judged those people, and you can see that in verses 2, 3, and 4. God judged the wicked, including angelic beings who kept not their uh, first estate. But Paul warns us, Peter warns us, that these people will blind minds. Second Corinthians four, three and four. 2 Corinthians 11, they confuse the truth of the word of God. They appear as, as angels of light, ministers of righteousness. They shake the stability of Christians. People, Christians become shaken by blasphemous teaching of heretical teachers. Uh, they, they, they tempt people with worldliness. It's okay to do that, it's okay to do that. You can be a Christian and still have all this stuff. Then we're warned by Peter that they, there's an adversary, the devil, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's talking to Christians. So we recognize that God has a plan. God wants us to make sure that we're aware that God judged, look at verse four. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, Tartarus, the abyss, and delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Then he destroyed the whole world in verse five. And then he turned Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Remember when Abraham saw that back in Genesis, he looked over the city and it was like a furnace, like a furnace, the judgment that came upon God, upon the the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, now listen, all that is true. So what, what can I do? What about me? Well, I want you to think about this for a moment, please. One of the many things I enjoy doing with my wife is we used to go camping up in Maine and I would look for driftwood that would come in on the beaches, the rocky beaches of Maine. And I found this back a couple of years ago, and I saved that. I said, someday I'm going to use that for something. Hang on, okay? <laughs> Let's look, please. Pick it up again in verse 6, please. Verse 6 of Second Peter chapter 2. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those after that should live ungodly. Okay, God, I, I, I got it. I, I, I understand that. But how could it ever have gotten to that place? How could this ever have happened? And you had one of your people there, Lot. And the term there, uh, my King James Bible says, just Lot. The term really is righteous Lot. Now, Peter extrapolates what happened. What happened to Lot? Notice what it says, please. God delivered righteous Lot who was literally tainted, oppressed, vexed, distressed, infected, if you would, mentally and spiritually with what? With the sensual, filthy manner of life of the wicked. How did Lot end up in that mess? As this piece of driftwood at one time, this was probably part of a peer at one time, this was something that had stability to it. At one time, this was used to hold something up. And what happened? It got worn down. It just got worn down. So what? If it became a piece of wood drifting in the ocean, bumping up against the rocks. Do you see, folks? That's what happened to Lot. He was among those people. He was away from Abraham. He was away from the stability of the word of God. He had seen God answer Abraham. He had, he, had, he had seen God work miraculously through Abraham. And what happened? He turned his eyes to Sodom. And he was observing the wickedness of those people. He was away from sacrifice. He was away from Abraham who sacrificed unto God. He was away from stability. He was away from the word of God. And what happened? He got worn down, worn away with the wickedness that's around. That's exactly what that term means. Let's look at verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He got worn down with the environment that's among them. Now we don't have a lot of time, but I I wanna mention, if we could please, a couple of people in the scriptures. Turn with me to Judges chapter 13. We have an example of getting worn down. You know him, of course, in Judges chapter 13. You know this story very well, the story of Samson. Israel has been taken into captivity because of their own wickedness. God brings a judge up. As long as the judge seems to live Israel on God, and then once the judge dies, they're right back down into the filth of the world. And God has delivered Israel into the hands of the Philistine in, in Judges chapter 13 and verse one. God has a man, he set a man aside, a man that will do his will, and that man's name is Samson. First he has to be born. So God picks out uh, two parents for this man, we know them, of course, to be um, uh, Manoah and his wife in 13.2. And God said, I want this child that's going to be born unto you. She was barren, just like a Mary, just like Elizabeth. But I want this child that's going to be born unto you to be a Nazarite for life. The vow of a Nazarite was to be a separated person, not only for a period of time, but for life. This man was going to live a life committed to God up until his death in verse 7. We see that. And yet what happens the course of time goes by years go by the years continue on now look at chapter 14 please in verse 1 and Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines the enemy of Israel first of all he went down to Timnah you know what that means he went he went west from what we would know to be Jerusalem he went west from Jerusalem and he went down into the plains of Timnah. That was a Philistine area. So he went down out of the hills and he went into a valley to a Philistine village. And he's looking for a woman. What do you think you're going to find in a Philistine village? Philistine women. When you want to know more about God, where are you going to find it? Fox News? CNN? Where are you going to find information about God? In the Word of God. But if you're looking for the world stuff, you'll buy People magazine. You'll buy those things. Good housekeeping, perhaps. Now, not that there's anything wrong. Maybe you can get some value out of that. But if you're looking for something that will make your soul solid, what do you do? You look at the Word of God. If you're looking for a wife, where are you going to look? If you're looking for, to honor God with your life, where are you going to look? You need to look into the Word of God. We had a prison ministry for many years. And in that prison ministry, we we dealt with a lot of prisoners. We we believe some of them came to know Christ as Savior. I'm not sure. But we were told, and I do not know if that applies to today, we were told by the guards, the the people that taught us, that there's an 85% return rate to prison. 85%. Why? Most of those guys that are let out go back to their old neighborhoods. Guess what you're going to find there? The very people that helped you get where you are. He's looking for a wife. Where does he go? To the Philistines, the enemies of God, the enemies of God. Notice what he says. He saw a woman. Apparently, she was quite beautiful. Verse 2, when he came and he told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as my wife. Then his father and mother said unto him, Is there no woman among the daughters of thy brethren, Israel, or among my people? that you take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines, and Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me. Now, we're going to read the next passage in a moment, but just pay attention. Samson operated on the lust of his flesh, and his father and mother got worn down. They gave him what he wanted. Remember, in that day, the parents had to arrange the wedding. They got worn down. She pleases me! I I don't need to do much with this, but... Do you allow your children to do what pleases them or what's right? You have to make that decision. And there was a Philistine woman. Can't we just just get a woman from Israel? She pleases me. And so what happens? Well, they went and got her. Now look at verse 4. But his father and mother knew not that it was from the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. for, For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. You know, we want to be careful here. Why? Because the Lord's going to use this, but that's not God's will. It's against Mosaic law for a man to take a wife from among the Philistines. But see, God's going to use this just like he used Judas. Have I not chosen you, 12? And one of you is a demon. God's going to use it, but not approve it. God did not approve Judas, but he used Judas. And that's the same thing here. God is not approving of Timnah but he's going to use the situation, and he does later on. So what happens? Well, Solomon is done, I mean, yes, um, Samson is done with her. Let's go a little bit farther, please, very quickly. Head with me to chapter chapter 16. And when Samson uh, went down to Gaza, we know that to be the area of Gaza Strip today. That, again, was a Philistine area. And when Samson uh, went to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went unto her. What's he doing there? He has the vow of Nazarite. He's supposed to represent God in all that he says and does. What is he doing there? Why is he there? He was operating in the flesh. Can Christians operate in the flesh? Oh, you better believe they can. You better believe they can. Can an Old Testament person operate in the flesh? You're reading it for yourself. What happened? Well, remember he's, his hair is long God has given him supernatural power to be able to defeat the Philistines. You see all of, all of that. But the Philistines want to know from uh, this harlot, Delilah, they want to know from her, how does he get his strength? How We can't fight this guy. How does he get his strength? And she begins the process of, of wearing him down. Look at chapter 16 and verse 15. But she said unto them, how cannot you say you love me when you mock me? Well, your heart's not with me. You've you mocked me this three times about how you get your strength. Verse 16, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that he his soul was, my Bible says, vexed. Daily, she's after him. Daily, daily. He's not he's not in the word of God. He's not in the will of God. He's doing that which is contrary. He's with a harlot. And he became worn down. And you know the story. So that Delilah got the information. And in fact he cut his hair. And the end of the story was he ends up actually killing himself. He took a bunch of Philistines with him. But he actually uh, ended up killing himself. Okay, now listen. This is where we want to end. Think in contrast if we could to another Old Testament person. Daniel. Think in contrast. Daniel loved God. Samson loved himself. Daniel's decisions were based upon... God's priorities. Samson's decisions were based upon his pleasures. Daniel acted upon prayer. Samson acted upon pressure. Daniel looked to the eternal. Samson looked to the temporal. So it comes down to me now. I have to ask myself, am I being worn down by this world? I'm asking myself, that. I'm not asking you. I don't want to know what you think. I need to ask my God what I think. Am I being Once I stood for the Lord, am I like this stick? Am I just cast aside because I've become worn down? How do you know if you're being worn down? I'm gonna throw a couple things at you and quit. First of all, do you give credibility at all to the gay agenda in same-sex marriage? Second, does the fact of abortion break your heart? Does it break your heart? Millions of babies killed. Is this pro-transgender legislation okay in your mind? Is that all right? Is the state of living together without marriage, is that okay? Is the fatherhood and motherhood portrayed on television? Is that what this is all about? Is that okay? Does witchcraft and demonism portrayed on television cause you to turn it off, to get rid of that stuff? Has cursing and vile language and sexual innuendos made by radio people and television people and public people, is this bother you? If it doesn't, It doesn't mean you're doomed it doesn't mean you're going to hell but what it might mean is you become worn down and you know the apostle john said something about that when he talked to the church at ephesus he said perhaps you've left your first love maybe you've left your first love but the great part about this is all you have to do is remember where you left it confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins And to restore you back in full fellowship with him. So we confess our sins. Then we commit to him. God, I want a war, a good warfare in this world. And then we continue. Continue in the things you have learned. In doing all this, we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for Peter's message to us. We know, Father, it continues on. There's more to it. There's more about it. And yet, Father, we had to stop here. Help us, Lord, not to be like a a man that's been worn down, a woman that's been worn down by the continual wickedness of the world. But help us to stand apart. Help us to be sanctified apart from this world. Help us to seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of the Father. Lord, help us not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Help us, Father, to concentrate our hearts on pleasing you. Then those who know Jesus Christ as Savior will be, in fact, uh, pleased. Father, we want to honor you. We pray, Father, you just bless our time, this time together. We look forward to meeting tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.